This is Chase Garbarino, co-founder and CEO of HQO, and this is the Let's Go Show. Today, I'm very excited to have Michael Bull, uh, the creator and host of Commercial Real Estate Show. Michael, thanks so much for coming on. Glad to be on, Chase. Thank you. So you've got a, a pretty extensive background in, in real estate. Tell us a little bit about uh, uh, about your your background in the industry and how you got here today. Sure. Well, I'll try to do it in 30 seconds. How's that? <laughs> so it's not boring, right? Uh <laughs> I started managing apartments when I was 18 years old and, and going to school at night. Uh, by the time I finished school, I was 22. I uh, went into full-time commission-only sales selling apartment buildings. My first sale was 19. It was a 20-unit apartment deal. Um, and then I started selling uh, commercial properties. About 23 years ago, started my own company, Bull Realty. Um, licensed in nine southeast states. Uh, and I have about 50 people working at my firm. And uh, I lead a team personally that sells uh, large, large office buildings uh, around the country. And, uh, and then about ele- well, exactly 11 years ago, I started America's Commercial Real Estate Show on one radio station. I grew to 60 radio stations. Uh, and then over the years, the radio stations started losing audience and people were discovering podcasts <laughs> and then I'd had the podcast going since you know since the start eleven years ago. So now, so we went to only uh, podcast and, and YouTube. So uh, uh, do that show as well. And then lastly, I have a training company. I created uh, twenty one one hour videos in front of a live audience, three cameras, and created some spectacular training for commercial agents that uh, brokerage firms just rave about. Um, and uh, they they license that and and online and uh, view it off on the cloud. So I mean, yeah, that was pretty close to thirty seconds, and that's a lot to pack in. So, I mean, I got a bunch of questions. First off, at at eighteen, how'd you just get into selling uh, apartment buildings? What what drew you to the industry? Uh, I had a job uh, laying pipe with a ditch witch in the heat of the summer in, in Atlanta and it was killing me. And I was asking everybody for a job. And finally a friend of mine's, uh, uh, father, uh, worked at an apartment rental company. Uh, and they said they needed somebody to do leasing. And, uh, and they said the hardest thing I'd have to do is take out the office trash once a day. And I said, I'm in. So how did you learn to sell? Cause clearly you, you know how to sell. You know, I, I started, uh, when I realized I wanted to be a commercial real estate salesperson, I saw sales in the title and it's, and it freaked me out because uh, all the salespeople I had met, I thought were jerks and I didn't want to become a jerk. So I studied sales like crazy all the time. Uh, like I was, like I was studying for exams and I really never stopped doing that in my entire career. It's fascinating. And then, I mean, you said you got into radio. How did you even start a radio show as someone, you know, selling real estate is quite different than media. So what was the, the impetus for, for getting into media at all? Yeah, it started uh, just as an idea to, to do a call and take calls uh, from people in my Atlanta market. Uh, we're headquartered in Atlanta. At the time, our company was mostly doing work in Atlanta. Uh, and I was just going to take calls and uh, answer questions as just a marketing, you know, I, I think as a commercial broker, it's really your half uh, marketing 
and your half advisory. And I've always enjoyed the study of both. And um, so it started off just as marketing the company. And then they called me about a month before the shows start and said, Michael, we got a problem. We're at Salem Media. We're building new studios. So you're going to have to record your show. You're not going to be able to go on live at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning and take calls. Uh, you're going to have to create and record a show. And I'm like, oh, no. So when I did that, it kind of ended up being a lucky break because I created a show that was really valuable to people all over the country. My first show was in October 2010, and I did the show on commercial loan workouts. And after I did that show, I realized that I had a lot of information that was valuable to to listeners around the country and my guests did. So I kind of got a lucky break there that they were building studios. Well, and then how did you make the, you know, if you said 11 years ago, that's around 2010, how did you make the jump into podcasts? Because today podcasts seem obvious. 2010 podcasts were not obvious. That's you're, you're ahead of the head of head of the curve. Yeah. I had a professional producer to start with. It helped me uh, get do everything. And, and he created uh, the first show in October 2010. We also broadcast it as a podcast. Mm. So we were already doing podcasts in 2010. Just a lot of people didn't know about them. And so later, you know, I don't know what year it was, we quit doing radio, uh, maybe about halfway in, because people were realized, were understanding podcasts. But it was amazing. I'd, I'd talk to these guys and say, yeah. I love your show. I listen to it at 10 o'clock on Saturday while I'm cutting my grass. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a podcast. You could listen to it anytime you want, anywhere on demand. And they're like, oh, I like to cut that grass. I'm like, gee. <laughs> That's funny. It's, uh, I think it's interesting, though, particularly today, if you're you know, a young broker working in commercial real estate trying to make it up. I mean, I think the thread here is you've got an entrepreneurial nature. Um, one of our values is called the Let's Go Show, which are our corporate values. One of them is learning uh, the L and Let's Go. But clearly, you've been a self-starter and a learner uh, along the way. What advice would you be giving young people trying to come up in, you know, what is a, you know, it's a competitive field. And it's also, a, particularly on the office side, a, uh, a very disruptive time right now. Yeah. Well, I think you hit it right on the head. It, it's really learning. It's education. It's training. Um, I, I've done, I do a lot of training. Uh, I've continued to train. Um, you know, I've taken a class on hosting television shows, sh classes on um, public speaking. I've done classes on stand-up comedy. I've done classes on everything, you know, writing for, for everything. And just, you know, if you just realize if you're always getting better, uh, you're going to do better and, uh, and never stop learning. So I think, you know, you guys got it, you know, you're right on right there. That's what you need to do. If you're always learning, you're going to uh, do real well. I remember asking about an agent, uh, met a bunch of brokers from another shop and asking about this young guy. And they said, well, I won't use his name. They said, so-and-so, oh, he's never going to make it. I said, why is that? He said, because he's always in a class. He's always learning or learning something or in some class. He's never going to make it. Fast forward three years later, they're all out of the business. <laughs> that young guy's a superstar. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> always in a class. I think that's funny. Um, it's just the pace that business happens. I mean, even going radio to podcasts, right? Like if you if you stop learning, you're in trouble. So uh, I think that's one of the coolest things about your story. And obviously on the show, you've got a lot of experts. 
So you're you're constantly learning, talking to a lot of different people in the field. What's your take on kind of the workplace trends that we're seeing today? I mean, talk about a, a time where uh, we need learning. I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the market uh, from the people that you're talking to. You know, what are what are your thoughts on trends and particularly the future as it kind of pertains to hybrid and some of the things people are talking about today? Well, it's interesting. It kind of runs the gamut depending on who you're talking to, to, to some folks and company leaders who think they'll never need an office again, uh, to people who think that, boy, this it, having anyone work from home or anywhere is, is a big problem. And then you know, all the hybrid in between. So, um, but my, one of the things I think is interesting is that, you know, we're human beings, whether we're in leadership or where, and we get, we're impacted by the things around us and, and what's happening right now. And, you know, we've, what we've went through for almost two years, it seems, you know, is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's impacted us. It's like, if you look at, you know, nine 11, uh, when nine 11 happened, they, Everybody's saying, well, no one's going to go in office towers again. They're not going to be in these towers in, in cities like Boston and New York because um, that's just the way you felt at the time, you know. But then it just it's, it's not really true. So I think some of that's happening now. And I think there's, uh, you know, I could sum up why I believe that office is going to come back very strong. There's so many benefits of having our people together. I could sum it up in one sentence. You want the one sentence? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is about culture, quality, efficiency, recruiting, onboarding, training, uh, retention, growth, intellectual property protection, client confidentiality, cybersecurity, and profits, mm -hmm. and career growth. I, <laughs> that's my one sentence. Oh, yeah. People, I think, right? That's. Yeah. I do think that's where, I mean, when you tie it back to learning and all that, I, I think one of the, the biggest challenges of um, kind of remote and a lot of the digital connection is that it's so transactional. There is, and it's hard to put your finger on, right? Because at first you're like, ah, yeah, this seems to work. But there's something about not being able to read people's body language, everything being so... I know we have half an hour dedicated specifically to this topic. You're in, you're out. You can tell people are reading their browsers when they're in the Zoom. They're not really listening, paying attention. Like, And everybody talks about kind of the spontaneous interactions. And uh, I think it's hard to quantify, but there's just something missing in, the, in terms of the human connection between people that ties to all those things that, that you kind of highlighted. Yeah, and the people want it. The people need it, and they're 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 going to want to be together. Um, and did you read the article in New York Post about a, a lot of employees having uh, two full time jobs? Yeah, there's a a whole bunch of websites now that help you trick trick your boss uh, so that they do not know that you have multiple jobs. Yeah, uh, and so that's theft. And I and I think it it the when people when companies feel safe to have their people back together. Um, they're going to realize that the, the profits, the efficiency is, is not there. You know, people and turnover, retention, um, that's a huge cost, uh, as you know, for companies. And real estate is is very minor cost compared to that. And so I think they're going to want to invest in their office. They want to invest in the environment. They're going to want to invest in the technology, get their people back together where they're more efficient. You know, um, I've been very busy in the last two years 
uh, selling office buildings, and we're dealing with you know, law firms and all kinds of companies and vendors throughout the whole process. And I can tell you, all the ones with, that work from home were, were just, I'd say, half as efficient as the people in the companies that were working in their offices. I mean, you just, you know, oh, well, let me see. Uh, I can get that for you in a day or two. And the other company says, oh, hold on. Okay, here you go. Here's the answer. Mm -hmm. The guy's next door. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you see for whether you're a landlord or, you know, third party PM, where do you see examples of groups kind of helping their tenants come back? I think a big hurdle that commercial real estate groups have is that obviously, you know, they want to be sensitive to different customers have different points of view on returning to the office. But um, who do you see that's doing it well? And, you know, what what are things that landlords and property teams can do to kind of help people get over that habit change? You know, we're 18 months into the habit. Some places, you know, we're, we're back at HQO, but a bunch of people still aren't back. So, yeah. Um, what are you seeing that works? Well, I think just having a, a, a building in a space uh, that's inviting, that promotes wellness. Um, you know, I think if I'm going to pay Class A office rent at my company, I expect a t- touchless technology. I'd expect to, from my car to my desk, not to have to touch a doorknob, door handle, or an elevator button. Um, and I'd expect to have more square footage per person than uh, we were cramming people into, uh, and I'd expect a private office uh, where I'm, somebody sneezes, I'm, it's not hitting me in the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we're getting back to private offices more. I think we'll get into more um, um, uh, space, more square footage per person. I think that trend was already starting to reverse before the pandemic, um, and I think the, the buildings are just behind on their technology, and I think it's it's a wake up call. And the buildings and landlords that are preparing their their buildings and their space, uh, and uh, for the companies that want to come back. And there's a lot of companies out there that are leasing a lot of space and and buying buildings. They understand uh, the value to their company and their employees of being together. Um, so it's the the buildings and owners and managers that that proactively get these spaces re- ready. Uh, that are going to be the winners. And who do you see that's doing that well? You know, I don't know that I want to name any names because I don't really see anyone doing it well enough, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm in a pretty nice building here, and, you know, I have to touch two doors to get in the building, uh, and then I have to touch the elevator button to go up the elevator and, um, you know, and maybe it's my fault, but I have to touch these big glass doors to get in my space. I mean, why? Room for improvement <laughs> everywhere. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, what do you think the, when, when do you think we truly start to, to kind of come back from this? What's your, what's your prediction when leasing really starts to pick back up in office? You know, activity has picked up. You know, we're seeing sublease space start to, uh, reduce a little bit in most of the major cities. We're seeing activity pick up uh, on uh, tours um, and uh, in certain cities are starting to see a little bit less vacancy or at least less problem uh, spaces coming back on the market. And I think to answer your question, I think it's when 
companies feel safe. Mm. Um, you know, I, it's interesting. I, I've sold a, a portfolio of small suburban buildings in Metro Atlanta. They were Roswell, Marietta, these suburbans. And these are, have small tenants in them that are 1,200 to 2,500 square feet. And it was during COVID or, you know, not in the first month mm. shutdown, but it was in 2020. And 85% of those tenants were in their spaces, uh, working, active, uh, and doing business. Um, and then and then I go into the large buildings with the larger square footage tenants, and th- there's very few people there. So I think, you know, the larger company you have, the more dangerous it is, you know, to have people come back. And I think it's going to really be about when do you feel it's safe to have people back. You imagine the PR nightmare if you require people to come back and something bad happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, I actually have seen, you know, anecdotally, but if you look at some of the Google mobility data, stuff is uh, certainly picking back up. Uh, My commute has gotten a lot longer here in Boston. So I do think there's more people back than some of the big name employers tend to uh, dominate the headlines. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it it feels like things are... uh, know people are starting to plug on which it's good to see and it's obviously going to be critical for a lot of small businesses and service jobs and employment in the you know certainly the cbd areas and in the cities so yeah um, well i can tell you a couple anecdotes too i just sold a multi-tenant regular office multi-tenant deal in uh, west palm beach florida suburban area and i put it on the market in the third quarter of last year during covid and I thought, well, this is going to be a test. Is someone going to buy a multi-tenant regular office building and pay a, a decent price? Um, and it was a little slower than it would have been, but we got the same cap rate we would have gotten in 2019 for it, and it and it sold. Mm. But interestingly, probably you know 90% of those tenants weren't in their space; they're paying rent. Um, uh, but it it did sell, uh, and then. Uh, we just had a tenant uh, interview on a very large government building, uh, and the government was interviewed about work from home and their need for space. And this particular arm of the government said, "We definitely have to have people back. It's just not mm. working." <laughs> yeah. Well, and I I think ultimately it is going to come down to it's not popular, but. I think it's going to come down to companies. Um, you know, I I've got a lot of I know a lot of people that uh, are pretty comfortable going out and doing a lot of things like going to restaurants and games and stuff like that. Um, but some folks that might not necessarily be telling their employer they're comfortable going back <laughs> exactly. to the office. So yeah, <laughs> I I got a couple of buddies whose handicaps have gone way down <laughs> during the pandemic. <laughs> Uh, I, I, they, I like the surveys that say employees say that they're uh, much more productive at home than they are in the office. Now, it, they, it was the employees that were surveyed, but you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, we don't all get to do our own performance reviews. <laughs> yeah. Netflix says otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh it is funny to see one of the, I forget if it was CBRE or Microsoft, one of the big workplace surveys, um, working parents said they were, uh, one of the reasons they wanted to continue to be able to work from home was because they were saving money on childcare 
because they weren't putting their kids into child care, which has to make you wonder why what you're watching them on kind of work hours. So I think there's going to be a, a, a slow return based off of companies waiting for other companies to to start to say, hey, we're bringing people back so it can be, you know, safety in numbers. Exactly. And then, you know, so when school's in and and, there, and you can get nursery and you can get school and, sure. you know, that that's going to be helpful. Um, so, yeah. And, and when when it's when it's safe. Yeah. And I have one I have a one year old boy and a three year old boy and they get sent home from daycare if they, you know, look like they might sneeze, not even if they sneeze. So it's uh, right. it's certainly tough on parents of the young kids for sure. So that's right. Yeah. Um, so look into the future. What do you think the main kind of workplace trends are for, you know, you know, when you're going to, to sell an asset, what gets you excited about uh, something that a strategy that a landlord ha- or owner has employed and uh, what you think the, you know, the market will be, will be looking for out of, uh, out of the workplace of the future. Well, I think one thing we'll see is more of the wellness certification. Mm. You know, you can get that certification for your space or your building. And uh, I remember when I first found it two, three years ago or so, and I was talking to people and like, uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to be big. And I said, well, I think it's going to be big. Uh, and, you know, when you look at the wellness factors, uh, they just make sense. And I picked and I started picking up a lot of the factors in my office. Uh, and it really makes a big difference. So I think we're going to see more wellness certifications and more touchless technology. Um, I think we'll see more square footage per person. Um, and I think we'll see the the companies, the real estate companies, the owners that, that do this well uh, are going to get the majority of the tenants. And I think that you already see it, the Class A buildings, uh, nicer Class A buildings are still selling well. Um, they're, they're getting the more tenants. Uh, we're already seeing in the CBDs, uh, the apartment rentals uh, are doing, are starting to do really well in downtowns. I think that's a little bit of the canary in the coal mine that, you know, uh, that people want to be back. They want to be in downtown Boston. It's cool. Why, why wouldn't you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but, you, but you need, you need everything working. You need the retail, you, you need the entertainment and you need the office. Yeah. And what, uh, what technologies are you guys, in, you know, in your line of work? What are some of the most impactful technologies that you're running into? You know, for our brokerage shop, you know, um, just using our CRMs and our custom fields in our CRM, uh, you know, our technology to um, market the properties. Uh, you know, we in the large office building world, you typically as an owner don't want that publicly out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we spend a lot of labor and time to understand all the owners and who they are and what they want, and what they don't want and who's active so we can get the right properties to the right buyers. And if we're representing a seller, creating a competitive marketplace. So, you know, identifying those folks, organizing them and then using technology to reach out to them and, and get them the information and sign the confidentiality agreements online and get them the online access to the information. Um, so, um, that's kind of in, in my brokerage world, you know, what we use a good bit. Yeah. Well, uh, Michael, uh, we're coming up on time here. I really appreciate you joining the let's go show. And, uh, it's great to see, uh, somebody from commercial real estate doing everything that you're doing on the media side and particularly on learning, really helping young people, 
get into the industry, which I I think we really need. So thanks a bunch for making the time and coming on. Hey, hey glad to do it. And uh, if, if any agents are looking for great training, which I was, I found I had to create it. And at commercialagentsuccessstrategies.com, uh, check it out. And, and what we do, if, the, if they don't, if the people are real think that commercial agent training is terrible because it is terrible. <laughs> so I say, hey, if, if you uh, license one unit, one video, and if you don't think it's absolutely fantastic, let me know in three days, give you a full refund. It's, it's, it's that good. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to share back with the, with the world what I've learned in the last 35 years. That's great. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll point people to that and, uh, it is good to, uh, if we can get more young people in the industry, keep it going. That's a wonderful thing. There you go. Thanks, Chase. Thanks so much, Michael. For more information about how HQO can help you connect with your workforce and make smarter CapEx decisions and drive more NOI, visit us at hqo.com. This is Chase Garbarino. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go. Let's go.